The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen speaking peoples, the Songhees, and the Esquimalt First Nations, recently known as Victoria, BC, Canada. Something a little bit different today, my friends. This is a clip featuring myself and my husband, Ruben Anderson. We're teaching a course right now, well, this whole year actually, called Collapse 101, and it's hosted in the Numinous Network. And so each month there's a one hour live session where we like teach a bunch of theory, let's call it, followed a week or two later by an ask me anything session. So some of you are new to my work. Like maybe you found me through my book, The Spirited Kitchen, or maybe through my witch talk videos. I hope that's the case. I hope you found me on TikTok because I think TikTok's very cool. Anyway, <laughs> you might've also heard me in an interview on regular radio, so regular media like CBC or whatever. Um, so you know me from work that's more palatable, let's say, or accessible than this topic of collapse. Um, or maybe you're someone who's like in a, a different stream. You've been following my work that weaves together attachment theory and polyvagal theory and somatics, um, or maybe trauma or attachment parenting. For a long time, I taught attachment for parents of teens. So this might feel like a bit of a departure to you that I sometimes venture into talking about things like peak oil or deindustrialization or the rise of fascism. Um, I also though know that there are some people who thought that they were following a woman who was just like really into growing giant pumpkins and English roses. <laughs> and that was like literally somebody in the network uh, was letting me know, like, I, I thought I was following this really enthusiastic pumpkin grower and now you're doing this awesome collapse stuff. And my husband's always been into that. This I can understand better. Anyway, super great conversation. But um, yeah, you might be one of those people who's like, I just like the small and delicious life stuff. Why is she talking about socialism? So it's very common that like a lot of people don't see the through line in my work in me uh, from attachment to somatics to trauma healing and co-regulation to witchcraft, to folk magic, to ritual, to animism, to socialism, to collapse resilience. But I do, like I see that, and I bet you do too, at least partially, when I lay it out in that sequence. And if you don't see the through line, but you want to, then stick around, because everything I teach about all the topics I like to speak on, I would consider collapse skills from recipes and rituals for the wheel of the year to dousing with a pendulum to attachment parenting, contact nutrition, polyvagal, all that stuff. These are all collapse skills. Of course, at the root of everything I do is like I'm trying to help people live what, what I, my husband and I call the small and delicious life. In other words, I want to help people live richly connected and meaningful lives. But even more fundamental to that, like think of that as like the topsoil, but like right underneath that, I'm trying to help shape the social discourse and collective thinking around collapse. And I'm trying to do that through compassionate and holistic and accessible adult education. 
I'm trying to help shape social thought around how then we will live in these times. So this episode might feel just like a little bit more kind of pragmatic um, because I'm just giving you this one little clip. It's a brief response to a Numinous Networks member at the AMA about how much is enough when we're prepping material or financial resources as a safety net or as a lifeboat for collapse. So very brass tacks question. And Ruben and I offer our very pragmatic answers along with like a little bit of that shaping of thought. We offer some scaffolding for how you might approach this challenge in your own life, how you might shape your thinking so you can come up with what feels like enough for you and your situation. Now, I will just say, if this is a totally new topic for you, at some point, go back and have a listen to my previous episode. I, I can't remember how many back it is. I think it's episode 160 of this podcast, uh, the Numinous podcast. It's called Collapse in a Nutshell. If you actually look at my body of work just in the podcast since it started in 2014, I would count about 30 of the episodes as being collapse oriented where it comes up as a topic really explicitly. Um, but that one, just scroll back, episode 160, collapse in a nutshell, like that, this episode will make a lot more sense if we're just on the same page. But anyway, for now, here's a clip from the first Ask Me Anything in our course, Collapse 101. I'm wondering if you can talk about your thought process in considering how much is enough when doing material and monetary collapse prep. I saw in the article you linked, Ruben was panicky that your stash of canned foods was down to 100 jars, whereas it had previously been at a comfortable 700. <laughs> Smile emoji. While I know the actual number will be different for everyone, how do I determine what my version of 700 jars is? whether it comes to food, cash on hand, or anything else. Do you have a standard suggestion, like have enough for a week, month, year, decade? Or if not, what is your decision-making framework or what types of questions do you ask yourself? So the first thing I wanna say is, um, we're gonna say some stuff now that might stress you out. I want you to know that in 2009, I was undergoing bankruptcy and mostly living off potatoes and kale and picnics I was taking with Ruben while we were dating and not telling him that I was going through, was just entering a bankruptcy. Um, it has taken a really long time in, in the moment to get to a place where now, today I'm like, yes, we have I've accomplished these tasks and I believe that, you know, everybody can do something that's a little better than yesterday. You just start with the thing you're at. In the, in the grand scheme of time, that doesn't feel very long to me. 2009 is so visceral in my body that it feels like I cannot believe how quickly I have a perfect credit score again. Not that I believe in credit, but you know, that's like a metric they want you to have if you want to like rent a house or whatever. So, um, I just want everyone to feel their seat, feel their feet, like locate something that feels solid and stable. And maybe that's just faces of people kind of telling you how it is and how we, we think about things that nobody else wants to talk about with you. Okay, so there's that. So all the emergency preparedness stuff will say, make sure you can um, 
support yourself for three days. If there's like an earthquake or you get evacuated, you want, you want three days. That is an absurdly small amount of preparation. <laughs> that will be nice to have, necessary, totally insufficient. We know it's going to be insufficient, but three days is not enough. So that is the bare minimum. If you don't have some kind of emergency supply or a little bit of extra, or, you know, you know, you could do three days of complete meals out of just cans that you can't heat up. That's like your first thing. If you don't have three days of water somehow available to you, even if you have to like empty a hot water tank, that's your kind of basic thing. Over time, I, I think three months, three months. That's the thing I'm, so I'm going to talk about food preps first. That's the first thing. So you, you start with the, the kind of carbs that you and your people or your ancestors or your family will eat. Um, and you build that up. And then over time, I do like, you know, Ruben, it was Ruben's um, Mormon family, the American branch that kind of opened me up to this idea of you have a, a year of food. And of course, I was just like, God, that's like my grandma's cellar. It was like scary down there with all her cans of salmon and fruit and stuff. But, but it actually just like makes so much sense to me because it isn't just if there's an earthquake, it's that if um, in, in my family's case, you have to take in a family member who's had a baby and lost their job or like whatever, like you have an extra mouth to feed, but you don't have any more income. Or if you lose your job and what little cash you have has to go to your shelter and it can't be towards your food or et cetera, et cetera. So building up to the place where you have about a year is of like food and emergency stuff, medications, pet food, those things, it'll take maybe a decade to have, to just kind of keep siphoning a little bit of your paycheck every week to building up a little bit of surplus and then going through it, you know, we, we take earthquake food camping, let's say with us to kind of keep it fresh. When it comes to money, again, as a person who had to recover from bankruptcy as a, as a single person, um, it, it's, a, it's a little counterintuitive to what like prevailing wisdom will, will tell you. Of course, the first thing is like, you gotta pay off your debts, um, but the, the, once you kind of get past the like, okay, I'm, I'm holding no debt or I have enough income that I can service debt and I could start saving a little, um, my, my meta goal, is what would I need to grieve? What would I need to stay in bed and grieve my husband without having to leave the house? How long would I need that for? And so I wanna stay in bed for a year. That's pretty much what I do. If anything happens to my partner, I wanna stay in bed for a year and I don't wanna have to do any paperwork for that. I don't wanna have to go through estate shit. I, I just want enough money that is liquid that both of us can have that I could stay in bed for a year. So I had to figure out how, how much would it actually cost me to live if, I, if like people were just bringing me food or groceries, but I get to stay in bed. So all my utilities, internet, all that stuff, that's what I want to have in cash savings. Um, and so however long it takes you to build that up, that, that's my metric. That's my framework for how I kind of figure it out. But you start at like, okay, my emergency fund, if I get COVID, I will want three months of income, but I'm going to have to start with just one month. And so it's $5 off of every deposit or $10, whatever it is. It takes you however long it takes you to just say, what if I got sick and I couldn't work? and I wanted that cash money, 
I don't want to have to convert an investment. I don't want to have to. And if the stock market is doing poorly at that time and I convert an investment, I actually lose my, that would suck. So I just want it in cash, cash money. That's me. I'm going to stop there. Go ahead, Ruben. Um, yeah, it's a really hard question. Um, and I actually, I kind of want to talk about how I, how I started. So yeah, I grew up, um, my parents were back to the landers, which is a little bit older than hippies. So I grew up uh, in the bush in a cold house that was heated by wood on goat's milk and chicken eggs kind of thing. Um, and my uh, parents fled the United States and the Mormon church, basically. So the Mormons are... Yeah, the Mormons have been religiously persecuted for a couple hundred years, and they have a just kind of a natural prepper mentality. <laughs> um, so I uh, I inherited that well, and I you know spent tons of time when I was a kid, like helping my mom can fruit and vegetables and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, there's a lot. I don't know. We could go on about hippie childhood. Um, so, but as I started getting into I took a design, I took a, got a degree in industrial design and studied sustainability through that. Um, and was kind of like, wow, this doesn't seem like this is gonna work out very well. And so I kind of kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and uh, kept getting more and more dysregulated, uh, you know, all the time. And finally, I was just like, I have to do something to like soothe myself. Um, and none of the things make any sense you know, like there's, there's no, like, there's nothing that is going to fix it, right? There's nothing that's going to stop collapse. There's nothing that's going to make you safe. There's just nothing that, that is like a logical thing to do. And so I was just like, I just have to do something. So I uh, pickled beans, which is one of my favorite things to eat. Um, and I bought a very small amount of uh, old silver coins and I started, and I got my firearms license. Um, and so I'm like living in Vancouver, right? Which is like a, area of two and a half or three million people like absolute useless stuff <laughs> but it was just like that feels a little bit better you know and so then it, it was just like a little just a little further step you know as I had capacity um so yeah, I think the thing of just, you know, next time you're at the grocery store, you buy an extra kilo of rice and put it in an ice cream bucket under your bed. And that's a step. Um, you know, do you, like Carmen said, get water out of your hot water tank. Do you know how to do that? Do you know where your hot water tank is? You know, did you know you can drink the water out of the toilet tank? Like what's your, like things like that are free, <laughs> you know, that you can begin kind of orienting towards how am I going to how am I going to act? Yes, Carmen? There, and there are going to be things that are working towards your larger framework of I want to be self-sufficient for a bit. And like Ruben said, some of them will just actually make you feel good, even though they're not likely. Can you tell the story of why oh, you yeah. carry so much money? In? Yeah, sure. Um, my I worked for this guy in Vancouver named Dan, who was a, I, ha, I have to always think about this. He was a Serb from Croatia. His family had lived in Croatia for 400 years, uh, and yet they were still Serbs. Um, so I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing I don't normally uh, run into in Canada. <laughs> uh, and he had been, um, he, was an, he was an engineer, 
And he had been walking down the street on his way to be a professor at university. In Sarajevo. In, I don't remember the city. It wasn't Sarajevo. I think it might have been Belgrade. Um, he was walking down the street to go to university to teach his classes, and they blocked both ends of the street and just rounded everyone up in the middle and sent them off to the front lines to fight in, in that was probably the first Yugoslav war. So he survived two wars in the Balkans. Um, and he showed me, he pulled out his wallet, and inside his wallet, he had these like, like they'd been pressed from him sitting on them so much, but he had um, euros, American dollars, and Canadian dollars folded in his wallet that he carries on his person at all times. And I was just like, in Vancouver. In Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like American dollars, I can understand, but euros, it's like, wow, you have a bug out plan that. <laughs> has you know option a and b and c yeah, transcontinental yeah. uh options yeah yeah um yeah so that 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 was memorable um the other thing i want to mention is that swedish uh booklet if, so if crisis or war yeah, comes in, the swedish right. booklet everyone it's it's linked and in it's the, it's it's linked in the course yeah. collapse 101 uh the swedish booklet you might have to like read the page and go down you'll see there's like you might have to translate swedish but you'll get it it's right there um mm -hmm. go ahead so the the swedes had this booklet um in the 50s or something it's like a cold war like sort of um handbook what to do in in case of crisis or war uh and they let it lapse for several decades but they just reissued it and uh, i think they sent it to like every swede kind of thing um, so I think it was probably when Russia, maybe when Russia invaded Crimea or something. So, uh, you know, a decade ago, they put this out again. Um, and it's kind of remarkable because uh, it basically says like the government is responsible, we will triage and the government is responsible for taking care of people who can't take care of themselves, uh, which means the rest of you need to take care of yourselves for some amount of time like they don't they don't say, <laughs> they don't they say, say 36 right. or 72 hours right mm -hmm. it's like if it's war it's going to be you know you're going to be taking care of yourself uh, a long time and that is your responsibility and you also have to be taking care of anyone else that you can mm -hmm. you know so it, it was such a like wow you know like we live on top of one of the most dangerous earthquake faults on the planet. And everyone tells us that we need 36 hours worth of food and water. You know, it's just bananas. Yeah, and barely tells you good ways how to make sure they stay safe if you're under the rubble. Like mm -hmm. it, it's, it, anyway. Yeah, um, so. So, so, you know, that's how I started. Build slowly as you have capacity and everything you can do is, uh, is a little bit of help, you know, that you can give to someone else. <clears throat> like it's a little bit of care that you can take care of yourself and not need from uh, people that may have much greater needs of care. Um, Carmen talked about grieving for a year as being kind of a metric. Another thing for me that I think really influences how I live is that my like my vision not is not you done, um, but is like I basically want um, to be a I want to be a peasant like I'm I'm thinking of a subsistence peasant is my goal of success here we live in a house with gas heating and all that you know but it's like trying to figure out how to live locally and sustainably um is 
my overarching framework. And that so that really influences that I choose to do a lot of preps in the garden, <laughs> you know, um, but not everyone wants to do that, has that opportunity right now, though you may shape it to have that opportunity more in the future. Um, but that really influences how I go at things. Yeah, I think the running scenarios, uh, which anybody who did attachment for parents with me recognizes that running scenarios of what's the likely scenario that you could face. And so, you know, part of that might be like looking at family medical history and being like, oh, a lot of people in my family get cancer or get dementia or like, or, oh, I, I have a lot of the signs that I may have an autoimmune disorder developing. And so your particular kind of like, what will enough or a good life or, you know, what will that look like for me if I can't keep functioning as I am now is going to be different for everyone. But I think having a vision or a goal that has many, many steps to get there. So if the first one is just like, I want a communication plan, you know, I'm diabetic. I need to make sure I can keep my medications cold for as long as possible. <laughs> so you might be like, so I'm going to make sure that not only do I have um, freezer packs or something always in my freezer, but also my neighbor and my closest friend. And will you, you know, like, so you might distribute, what's that saying? Like my next meal is in the I belly store, of I my, my excess food. I, I store my I surplus food in the belly of my, in neighbor. the belly of my neighbor. Right. It's like, you might create relationships that will then take care of you later, hopefully if they can. Um, so think about what would enoughness look like in kind of a, in, in the likely shitty scenario, and then break down what are the, what are the steps you could do between here and there? Hey, everybody, feel your arms, feel, feel your feet, feel your face, feel your belly, feel your back, look at some things that feel supportive, could be the sky or the weather, no matter what happens, you know what, the sun's gonna keep coming up. The moon's gonna keep shining down on us. The stars are still gonna be here. So what can you land right now that feels reassuring? Maybe even just take a moment to think like, what's the next, what's one tiny thing you could do? Like for me, it's like, am I, uh, canned corn secure right now. It's like if I've used canned corn in the last little while, I will feel better about collapse if I just go and see what's on sale at the market or just splurge on full price canned corn for two or three cans. That actually will make me feel good. And it's not nothing. You know, it's not nothing. If you don't have, also, I just want to say, if you don't have your three days of earthquake stuff and we're like mocking, that's not it. Sorry, not to freak you out definitely start with three days. That's the first step. This is the first step. You just do like whatever you can do. And like, there's no harm, no foul. If you've been busy surviving pandemic and haven't <laughs> been all over your collapse breaths. Okay. So the other questions we fielded in that hour, um, there was one that was really good. That was more about how we function as a quote unquote feminist couple. I had written in a description somewhere that we are a feminist couple and somebody asked us what does that mean what does that look like when you're in collapse you don't have a lot of resources like what are the actual 
again, brass tacks things. What do you have to know and do in order to stay connected under so much stress? Um, that was a, a real sweet time, real sweet answer. And that's available uh, in the recording of this AMA. So um, if you like what you're hearing so far, I invite you to join us in the Numinous Network for this and all the other resourcing activities that we have on offer there. So I, it's not just me either. I have like nine colleagues, really incredible humans um, who also guide sessions there. So there's something happening like most days of the month, things like group somatics classes or therapeutic writing and contemplative grief practice sessions. That's my friend Taryn A. Airfan who leads those. There's attachment focused sessions. Plus there's lots of on-demand video courses if you can't come to the live things, which is totally understandable. Collapse 101 is just like a small piece of what's happening in the network. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, but it's an important piece for those of us who've been tracking collapse for a long time and who find it settling and soothing to identify and name this phenomenon so that we can adapt and manage our response to it. And that course, Collapse 101, continues throughout 2023. And you're welcome to join us anytime all the sessions are recorded. The listener shout out today, first of all, let me say, if you bought my book, The Spirited Kitchen, will you add a review on Goodreads or Amazon? I got to get the number of reviews up. That's like a, that's a goal for me that I don't really know how to push the needle on. But my goal is like a hundred reviews on these different outlets and I'm only like a third of the way there. So if you've got a minute, it would mean a ton to me because I read them like over and over. <laughs> okay. It'll take you a couple of minutes. It'll last me a lifetime. So today's listener shout out, I really want to thank Megan, who left a review on Amazon that said uh, the title of it is the book I've always wanted, exclamation mark. Megan writes, from the first whiff that this book was coming, I knew I wanted it. A combination of ancestral animist recipes and rituals? Yes, please. I've been absolutely delighted with the essays, the recipes, the stories, and the pictures. That's like everything. I love it. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> Megan says, I'm so excited to make the Yuletime recipes for this upcoming season. And I love that it creates relationship between the seasons, what we eat and how we relate with our earth. An absolute stunner of a book. Loved it so much. I bought three because I knew I'd want to give them away. <sighs> Thanks, Megan. I love that. Okay, last thing, friends. Spring 2023, I've got two giveaways happening. This is like a random idea that I had. I was like, giveaways, I'm going to do it. But it's exclusively for my newsletter subscribers. Um, prizes uh, can go to Canadian and U.S. subscribers. So Canadian and U.S. subscribers to my newsletter are eligible to win. The two draws are happening February 28th and then March 28th. So in February, I'm drawing a name for my subscriber list to win a Witch's Apothecary gift box. It's all these ingredients for all your spellcraft needs. It's really special and lovely. It's over like two dozen botanicals or more for my own garden, plus a pendulum, a wand, a, some beautiful things in there. Then on March 28th, I've got more of a collapse theme one. So all you newbie preppers out there, this is a good one. I'll draw the name of one lucky person to win an incredible emergency kit for your car. It's the popular mechanics kit from mymedic.com. So first of all, two things. I don't even have a car. We, we have a car co-op, a car share, but we have like multiple car kits for like different kinds of trips. And I'm like 
I was so excited to get this one. Um, second thing, my medic is an excellent source for intuitive and easy to use and refillable first aid supplies. So it's like a modular first aid kit. I'm not sponsored by my medic, but I'm very open to being sponsored by them. I'd be happy to sing their praises all day. This prize is about $140 US value. So if you're wanting to upgrade your collapse prep, make sure you're on my mailing list. You just sign up at the bottom of my website, carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.